0: My Fame Explained podcast, episode 18, Tom Bancroft.
1: At, in the elementary school age, you know, that that's what would happen is you get like, a, a you know, some girls, I remember drawing a squirrel. And I was kind of just copying it from a, a picture, but I was drawing it. It was coming out really well, and I got a group of people gathered around watching me draw, and, I, and a few of them were cute girls, and I was like, oh, I like this feeling. <laughs> so- I want this to come back for the rest of my life.
0: Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. On this episode, I talk to veteran Disney animator Tom Bancroft, whose credits include Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Mulan, and many more. He is also the founder of Pencilish Animation Studios, the world's first brand new crowd-owned animation studio, where fans become the owners. Tom has animated on a number of top box office hits, has created characters in some of the most popular and profitable animated features of all time. Here's our conversation with Tom Bancroft and his animation fame, EXPLAINED. Talk about your childhood, where you grew up. Um, your family life, what did your parents do for work?
1: So I grew up in Long Beach, California and we were basically I was kind of like to say that I'm straight out of Compton because it sounds funny. <laughs> um, you can use it. but language. but it's not very far from the truth. I'm, I was literally on the sort of other side of the ravine from uh, Compton in North Long Beach. And so definitely the same feel pretty much um so kind of lived grew up kind of poor and with a single mom and she was basically a supervisor at the um at, at, for insurance at a hospital okay and um so it was a it was a very tight upbringing i had a twin brother and an older sister but my my twin brother and i we found out really early on that we just loved comic strips and we loved drawing and copying Snoopy and Charlie Brown and things like that. And so my mom would get computer paper, you know, like had all the little, <laughs> you know, rip off the pre- preparations on the left and the right. That had oh, all yeah. the Yep. Preparations, but it had lines on it that were green, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, We would draw on that. That was the free, cheap paper she would get from the hospital. And so she'd come home with like a big chunk of that. And we would just go through it and copy from our mad magazines and the comic strips. And so that's how we started into drawing. And we got to be, I would say, pretty quickly connoisseurs of who were the good cartoonists out there, who who really could draw well. And we would try and copy and kind of create our own style, even early on. We started creating our own comic strip characters and doing our own comic strips even in I don't know, middle school, practically elementary school. Wow, middle so, school, okay. All right. So then
0: yeah. so some of the strips, whether it was Mad Magazine or, you know, the comic section of the Sunday paper, um yeah. you, you would like redraw some of those strips and then also build upon that and, and create your own comic strips even at that young age in middle yeah, school. yeah
1: all, all young artists they start by copying and, and there's a, a real value to that i believe um when you're very very young it's just some artists never lose that they never start drawing with a blank piece of paper and creating their own things and uh-huh. that's when you run into an artist that's not going to be a professional they're going to be a hobbyist because a good copier's but if you can't invent with a blank piece of paper and we discovered that very early on fortunately on our own that we had to break out of that and and start creating our own characters even though they didn't look that good it just it was it was hard to do because they looked crappy at first right right but, right. Uh, but that was the path to being a professional and we recognized that that we had error of our own characters you know we couldn't just copy snoopy
0: right well how and the the copying that you did do of the strips like how good was the quality of that I mean do you normally we, oh
1: we were know? yeah even in elementary school you know at age eight, we were light years ahead of all the other you know students you know because all kids like to draw still at that age so right. but we you know we could make it look like Snoopy it would be spot on basically. Um, <laughs> it was just so once we kind of felt like we'd mastered that I guess you could say yeah we very quickly moved on to trying to create our own characters.
0: And so uh, what was school like then for you and your brother, I mean, at that age, where you were drawing at that level? Were teachers, like, just blown away by this and saying, wow, you know, you guys are will probably be animators someday? Um, and is that something that, that you wanted to do at that age? Or was this just, you know, it was fun because it came natural to you and, you know, you could impress your fellow classmates and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, at first it was that. L- literally, I always I say that I thought I was going to get girls based on <laughs> my drawing because... That in the elementary school age, you know, that that's what would happen is you get like, a, a you know, some girls. I remember drawing a squirrel. And I was kind of just copying it from a, a picture, but I was drawing. It was coming out really well. And I got a group of people gathered around watching me draw. And I and a few of them were cute girls. And I was like, oh, I like this feeling. <laughs> I want <laughs> this to come back for the rest of my life. Yeah. And literally, that's probably the very first entry point of me going, oh, this could be a career that will get me girls. And I literally found out very quickly after that, by high school, that I realized, oh, wait, it's the opposite. They run at that point from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Too funny. Uh, but it was too late. So to answer the second part of your question is, by high school, I knew this was what I was going to do. Like I was going to be, but I thought it was a cartoonist. which meant I thought I was going to be a comic strip artist because that was very popular. Again, this was about the, uh, the mid eighties early to mid eighties. And so, uh, it was sort of the second golden age of, uh, comic strips with Garfield and Bloom County and the peanuts were still going, you know, big. Um, but the new ones like Garfield and Calvin Hobbes were really, you know, very popular at that time.
0: At this point in your life, did your mother know that both of you would go on to do cartooning, animation, that sort of thing? Or was she like, you know, this is great that you guys can do that, but I still want you to, you know, go to college and and get a quote unquote real job.
1: You know, I think I'd like to say that's true, but I don't think it was. One is my mom always wanted to be a creative person. She loved music and dance and, and art and all those sort of refined things. But she was a single mom struggling to keep take care of three kids. So she was extremely supportive, I think, because of her love for the arts. She had that love. And we would go to plays, like when we had a sort of a godmother that would take us to theatrical plays and things like that. And so we were getting sort of some of that musical influence and things like that and acting um, that most kids in our neighborhood were not getting. Uh-huh. Um, But what was wonderful about it was that she was extremely supportive, but she didn't go to the next level, which was, and this is partially because this by now is around the 90s when we're getting a little bit older. um, She wasn't thinking of college. That wasn't an option for financial reasons. And so, yes, she was pushing us toward art and and celebrating it, but I don't think she had a, a real goal for us. Um, beyond just supporting, she just thought she left it up to us, really, to sort of find our way and how to make that into a job.
0: Uh huh. And so then after high school, then how did uh, where did your life kind of go from there? What was the next step in, in the process of your career?
1: By high school, um, we were really not looking at our peers artistically, mm-hmm. um, like most people do. Most artists, they look around at their peers and want to hit that level and just be the best amongst their peers. Tony and I always had our sights higher than that. We always, even in elementary school, would look at professionals and say, that's the life I want. Those are the jobs I want. That's, we we're very much commercial artists. I don't know why, but I think it was growing up the way we did. We, we put a very high level of earning money to, while you draw that a lot of other students, especially nowadays, they don't even think about how am I going to make a living, right? And so- we would always look at professionals and say that's the level of art we want to achieve and so that made us i think push we had a strong work ethic because of that Um, so even though we didn't have a path in front of us we were always drawing and so by the time we went to junior college um, and just taking general art classes and film classes because we also loved film uh we met somebody that made a friend of ours who was also a comic strip artist his name was eric stefani who by the way it was one of the founding mentors members of no doubt and the brother to gwen stefani oh yeah okay um and but he was an animator he he, well he was getting into animation he taught himself how to do clay animation with a a super eight stop-motion camera and he showed us this movie that he made and that was the moment we went oh this is you can make a living as an animator you don't need millions of dollars and all that you can literally animate at home with this this film camera you know that and we immediately went out and bought one and made a little short clay animated film and that was it from that point on we were like we had a direction and knew what we wanted to do which was and we the only change we made was we said well we already love to draw, why not do hand-drawn animation like Disney does rather than clay animation that has gravity and is very technical and is (laughs) very hard um, to make look good. And so we directed that and said, well, let's learn hand-drawn animation, drawn animation, uh, the Disney way. And then we found the school that was just down the road from us, CalArts. Okay. Um, and California's to the arts was where a lot of the Disney pros taught during the day or at night it, while while working at Disney during the day.
0: Okay. So then was that naturally then your, your ticket to to get into Disney? Um, just, you know, going to that school and then meeting people and, and make building connections that way?
1: It was. So that, you know, long story short is CalArts opened all the doors. We, okay. we were fortunate that we both got in based on our portfolio. We had no idea um, how hard it was to get in, but we got in first try. And, um, and what that meant was then we were there for about a year and a half learning uh, the general principles of animation. And then by the time, based on our freshman film that we both worked on together, disney uh came and we were looking at portfolios for an internship uh and this was like the december of the next uh semester so we'd been there for a year and a half and our mom had said uh she couldn't afford cal arts anymore and that this would be our last semester so it was an all or nothing uh put put our portfolios together for this disney internship beg our way in because it was really for upperclassmen and we were only sophomores yeah and Fortunately, they saw it, and they accepted both of us into that internship, which was in 1980, the beginning of 1989, and they were working on Little Mermaid at the time.
0: Okay. So, then, so, I mean, at this point, you and your brother, it was all on the line.
1: If we had not gotten into that Disney internship, um, we were leaving CalArts anyway because we couldn't afford to keep going. And so yeah. we would have been out on our own trying to get a job at that point.
0: So then you get picked up by Disney and then, um, so what was your first film and how did that come about? Like, was this like a a totally like dream come true experience where you're like, wow, now I'm actually working for Disney and working on, you know, some of these blockbuster films.
1: It was a dream come true. So we, it was a nine week internship and we both passed and got the job and the job was to go to Florida and start their brand new Florida Disney animation studio that was actually on tour it was also an uh, it was an also an attraction uh, at disney mgm studios which okay. is now called Ho- hollywood studios yeah um and you could tour it and see people working on disney films and so that was our first job at disney beyond the internship in california was we got the job and we immediately moved out to florida i got married bought a car bought a house it, all within a year it was a major life change Wow! and I was living the dream as uh, you know a Disney assistant animator like a um, it it was it was more than I even dreamed of like I never even got to the point of dreaming that I thought everything every part of my life had changed for the better almost instantly uh, in a month after leaving that that um, internship so yeah it was it was amazing
0: then you go on to work for, on such Disney films as Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, and Mulan. And so what was that like, that whole career with Disney, and uh, you know, was one of the films your favorite?
1: Well, yeah, it, it's the fondest time of my life for so many reasons, but for the career side of it, I had just lucked, lucked into an amazing job with the best company for animation in the world, and then on top of that, they were making some of the best movies they would make in a second, having a second golden age. And I got there just after it started. I missed Little Mermaid because I was an intern. But then we made one hit after another, after another, after another. And I was just learning on the job every day from some of the best artists in the world. So every part of me was really fulfilled artistically, you know, financially. Um, And then then on the side, personally, I was also married and, you know, building a family and, you know, having kids and uh, buying multiple houses one after (laughs) another. I mean, it was just a string of about 10 years of of working on uh, just dream projects that are still around today, amazingly, and still being talked about. And, of course, at the time, we had no idea that they were going to be kind of still talked about you know, this many, 20, 30 years later. Um, So, yeah, Uh, my favorite would probably be uh, Mulan. Mm -hmm. And that's also because it's a family film for our family, the Bancroft family. And I mean, not just my family, but my brother, my brother's family. So uh, because Tony co-directed that film, my brother, my twin. And then I was the supervising animator and creator of Mushu, the dragon in that film. And so really for the first time ever, I had worked my way up at the studio to be able to design a character that was one of the major stars of that film and then supervise the animation and and be a real leadership. Both of us had a very strong leadership position, obviously, in that film. And so I think that one, both of us were able to touch considerably and, uh, and we're very proud of it, of course. It's probably both of ours best work. Um, And so it's really become something that we pass along to our kids as they know that it's sort of the family film that we kind of, as the Bancrofts, had a lot to do with it.
0: Sure. And um, during the process of creating that film, do you know in advance that you're going to create a character for the film? Or is it just something that develops as, as the film is being developed?
1: No, you know, animation is a very slow process, so everything is planned. And so you don't have a leadership role that just sort of evolves or happens, you know, halfway through the film. Everybody is picked very early on. So I had got, got selected based on my animation of Pocahontas and my animation of Simba, you know, the, the work I had been doing. Yeah. Um, I had been selected to be the supervising animator of Mushu. Uh, Very early on, like literally a year before animation production even started, I was already doing character design of Mushu. So I was one of the very first animators that was put onto that film. Um, And so I I think I even predate my brother who was going to co-direct it. He was actually brought on a little bit later. Um, And so the nice thing was was that, uh, well, I'll say this. the, The hard part of that was that what did evolve with my role and with Mushu was that he grew um, he, as they were writing because I got on so early they were still writing the script and it was evolving uh, constantly to where originally it was two characters it was going to be Mushu and a phoenix okay.
0: um,
1: and or a dragon in the phoenix and Mushu wasn't even his name um, and then it, it, it pared down to oh, okay now it's going to be a dragon and a cricket um, and they were going to be kind of equal, and then that pared down to, you know, it's going to be Shu and this this tiny little sidekick of a cricket, and because so, his role just got bigger and bigger. And then as they wrote him, they started writing him for Eddie Murphy, and once that happened, and then literally right after that, Eddie signed on, uh-huh. um, once all that happened, he really blew up and became really the number two character in that movie which meant a lot more work and a bigger team for me to lead um, as his role got bigger and bigger as we were making the film. So yeah, that, that part of it made it compound, made it uh, not only more pleasurable in some ways, but a lot more stress um, as, as that role got bigger and bigger.
0: Like after the movie is released, say that one or any of the ones I had mentioned previously, uh, do you ever like go to the theater and, and just sit there and watch the crowd to see what their reaction is to the film. <laughs>
1: no, you know, what? I, I feel for the animators. Now and the directors of animated films that make movies now in a pandemic and, and where we are with theaters mostly shut down and I hope they come back, but it's a, it's a tough time to be an animator because now they come out on streaming and more people see it right Uh they get more eyes on a netflix than ever would in a theater which is rewarding but you don't get the reaction so when i was animating mushu i would be doing uh you know animating scenes that i was like i would add a new idea and things like that to make it you know his movement and uh or the expression really kind of punch the gag that was already in the storyboards or in the script and um or or really highlight something that eddie how he would inflection that eddie had added Mm -hmm. and so but i would have to wait literally a year for the laugh so i thought it was funny but to (laughs) get it proven out i had to wait a year for that and so when it finally came out you bet i was in the audience and i would be in the audience as much as i could (laughs) yeah because i had been waiting for a year for those laughs and to see which parts worked and and then I, there was always a surprise, like oh my gosh, I think I hear people sniffing, you know, at right, the end right. when Milan is found out. What I discovered was I was so centric on the comedy side of Milan. What really hit me when I went to the theater wasn't my segments at all. It was the other segments with the dad at the end and the flower and the tree and and how he was talking to his daughter and saying how how she was all he ever wanted, not this sword from Shan Yu. And hearing people react to that, and, and realizing, oh my gosh, there's a whole sensitive side to this movie that I didn't really even think about because I was so caught up into the comedy side of Mulan with Mushu.
0: It's just amazing to think, though, that you know, like you were talking about telling a joke and you know waiting for the laugh. It's, al- it's it is almost like telling a joke and then waiting a year for you know the the crowd to laugh at your joke. I couldn't even imagine. The, no, the amount of pressure you have for that whole year to just be like, I just want you know to to get that gratification, you know, especially now where everybody's looking for instant gratification. Um, man, that must have seemed like an eternity.
1: Yeah, it was a different time. There's no doubt about it. But I think there's still some of that in every even live action. It may not be a whole year you're waiting, but there's certainly that built into filmmaking where you're working on it and you really, really don't know how that audience is going to react and part of that is marketing right maybe it didn't get marketed well and there's plenty of good movies that came out and never got seen by very many people that uh, hopefully get a second you know life um, back in the day with VHS and now hopefully with Netflix but um, you know like Shawshank Redemption they didn't know they had a hit they didn't know and it really didn't do that great on its first theatrical run but of course it became a a cult classic much year, much later. And yeah. so there's some truth to to that for many people in live action, and, but I think animation just <laughs> multiplies it.
0: Definitely. So now I want to talk about your life now uh, and the company that you helped found, Pencil, Pencilish yeah. Studios. Um, it's the world's yeah. first crowd-owned animation studio. So what does that mean and what type of content are you producing?
1: Well, yeah, so... Uh, I'm super excited about Pencilish Animation Studios because it's really the culmination of so many aspects of my career and my experience and my passions all combined. Because when I left Disney, I started getting into social media. I started getting into Instagram. And before that, DeviantArt was a was a place for artists to share their art. Mm-hmm. And that whole community-based uh, side of our lifestyles that have become very popular nowadays, I was sort of really getting into it at the very beginning of that happening. And I, now I have a very large following on Instagram and I'm kind of an influencer <laughs> in my world. And, uh, and so therefore, and then I created some things like mermaid, which is a, a, a monthly, uh, um, in may it's a month long drawing challenge that is international worldwide. And we now have a contest that we do, and it's sponsored by Wacom, um, maker of drawing tablets. And so what's cool about that is I really kind of feel like I'm already out in the world, even though I'm this old guy. uh, I'm really out there in a big way in a lot of different, you know, Twitter and all that, because I love the artist community, and I love being able to, uh, and I'm a fan of so many people myself. So... When my now business partner, Ash, came to me and told me about uh, WeFunder and basically this reg CFs where you can now, as of like about six years ago, start raising uh, crowdfunding companies, not just like a Kickstarter where you're giving a donation and creating a product. Right. This was now, OK, we're, we can create a company uh, and you can make lots of different products. Uh, and the people aren't giving you a donation. They're actually in it with you. They have stock. They're shareholders. That was exciting to me, that aspect. And then I started going, well, wait, what, what is my company? What would make it different? And what I really thought about what I wanted with Pencilish is I thought, I'm going to go where the people are going, which is short form animated content. Um, and so we're making Uh, we're launching with about three different animated series, but each episode is only four minutes long. And we're going to put it where everybody is already, which is on YouTube. We'll have a pencilish YouTube channel. And what we really want year one is just a lot of people to see it and enjoy it and fall in love with our characters and our storylines. And then what we're going to do is basically now we own with the creators in some cases, um, you know, uh, a 50-50 split to where we're going to help creators make their content, their dream projects. And we're doing that with the fir- with two of the first uh, uh, shows that we're launching. And so there's a lot of like groundbreaking things that are happening because rather than having an idea as an animator and pitching it to your boss at Disney, they own it right away. They're like, okay, yeah. great. You made this uh, after hours um, um, while you worked here. Okay, great, we already own it, thank you. Yeah. And we're, we're gonna give you a little bit of money for it and then we're gonna go off and make a billion dollars. And what I'm offering is something that really doesn't exist, which is through Pencilish, we're gonna make projects. Some of them are my own and some of them are by other creators, but we're gonna share in the profits on that. And so is our investors, likewise. So what's exciting about that is for the first time ever, you can own a piece of Mickey Mouse, right? If this was in the 30s right, and and be able to follow that. And if you hold on to it long enough, be able to reap the benefits of all the merchandise and licensing that comes from that. And that's never been offered before.
0: Do you ever wake up and pinch yourself and say, I can't believe that this is my life, that I get to do this for a living, that I've lived this life and, and still get to produce all this great content?
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I, I look at the golden years or that second golden age of Disney and being a part of that when I was younger as sort of the first part of, of probably some of the happiest and best times of my life. And I look at my life now, likewise, the same way. I'm like, now I'm kind of doing that for other people. I'm trying to find those young creators that have their dream projects and hopefully help them get those created. And that is also just as fulfilling and exciting. I get to be the Disney basically now, but in a smaller way. And uh, and that excites me. I love working with teams and creating content that hopefully the world will fall in love with.
0: And what advice would you give to somebody listening that would want to follow in your footsteps? Well,
1: I guess is that, you know, we have a lot of technology that we're not really tapping into. It took a pandemic for people to start taking risks. And I, and I think we're just starting to see the some of that come out to fruition. But a lot of people use that pandemic time to figure out what they wanted to do with their life or to or some people just got fat and watched a lot of TV. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I, the first month or so, that was me. Um <laughs> But uh, but then other people use that time and they created things. And to me, that's that that group, that last group, are the people that we're gonna see really be the next uh real groundbreakers. We're gonna have so many wonderful stories over the next five and even ten years of people that created things during this pandemic, and they're the things that have changed our lives. Um, we haven't even heard those stories. We're just starting to hear those. Pencilist is one of those. We came out of the pandemic. We were created during that pandemic. So to me, the, the, what I want to pass on is some, there's never a time not to be creative, you know, even in what, what was a worldwide time of kind of like, wow, what's next. And and will we get, we get back to a normal. And I'm, I'm praying that we're starting to see that. Yes, we are. Um, we still need entertainment. We still needed food. We still needed doctors. We still there were so many important things uh, in our lives that we relied upon, um, and uh, I'm glad that we're we're some of them we're going back to, and others um, just got stronger.
0: Uh, Tom, thank you so much. I love learning about your life and career, and uh, thank you for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That was Tom Bancroft veteran Disney animator to check out more on Tom you can visit his website at TomBancroftStudio.com you can also follow him on Facebook at Tom.Bancroft1 and on Twitter and Instagram at TomBancroft1 download and follow the My Famed Explained podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and please go to Apple Podcasts rate us and leave us a review Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search My Famed Explained. Have an idea for a future show or want to sponsor the show? You can email us at myfamedexplained at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Larry Gilbert, and this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfamedexplained.com.